TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Let's get right into Special Edition. I'm Paula Degnan. Actor Circle says the play's the thing, and if you have one that's 10 minutes, make sure you stay tuned. Also, the inaugural Lackawanna County Fair is coming. We have the details. Let's start off by welcoming U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed, with an update on Project Safe Neighborhood. Attorney Freed, nice to have you back again. And now, we're going to follow up on what we talked about when you were here the last time, and that's Project Safe Neighborhoods still going on. Absolutely, and thank you for the invitation. It's very nice to be back and to have the opportunity to speak to you and and your listeners. Uh, Yes, uh, Project Safe Neighborhoods uh, program uh, run out of the Justice Department and and, uh, pushed out to the United States Attorney's offices all over the country. Uh, and it's it's essentially PSN 2.0. So this was done under previous administration, showed great results in reducing violent crime. And uh, 2.0 has the benefit of the research that was done before. Uh, and the way that it's been somewhat retooled is uh, we're given more opportunity to tailor the program to our districts. So you think of a place that, that uh, might just be a district that's dominated by a big city. Thinking of Western District of New York, you know, Buffalo is, mm-hmm. is, is the big player there. And I have a friend who works there. That's why it comes to mind. Uh, but the Middle District of Pennsylvania, you know, we're a big semi-rural district. What do you uh, cover? Okay. So we are uh, 33 counties in the middle of Pennsylvania. So if you think about the T that they talk about in, in politics, you know, when you there's a presidential campaign starting pretty soon, that you'll hear about the T in Pennsylvania, yes. right? And that's the middle, and then and then the uh, northeast and and northwestern tier. We essentially have the right side of the T. So we have everything in the middle, and then it goes over uh, to the east into the Pocono. So Maryland to New York border, huh. uh, and and the Pocono areas, and in, in, uh, you know Pike County and, and Monroe County, Wayne County, places like that. And then you get down into Schuylkill County. Sure, Schuylkill County, Schuylkill County, and then all the way down to the Maryland border. Wow. So, so in, in the middle district of Pennsylvania, you, you can't have a one-size-fits-all PSN program for the district. We're too big, we're too diverse, we're too spread out. So what the United States Attorney's Office for the Middle District of Pennsylvania has done is choose some target areas based on where we see the most activity. And it won't surprise you that it's in the more populated areas, uh, the more, quote, urbanized, unquote, areas. It's hard to really call any area of our district urbanized, but mm-hmm. there's some that are, are somewhat urbanized. It's not like Philadelphia no, or No, like, not like a big city. Right. But what you see here in the Middle District of Pennsylvania is – uh, you know, more issues in, in certain places. What that looks like here is city of York, city of Harrisburg, city of Williamsport, and Wilkes-Barre slash Hazleton, and a little bit up into Lackawanna County. So our focus area here is generally Lackawanna, Luzerne County uh, for this part of the district. 
And what does PSN look like? Well, it looks like putting areas, uh, putting assets to areas of greatest need, community engagement, uh, measurement, accountability. Uh, what we do here specifically in, in this area is, is federal agency partners and, and state and local officials working very closely together meet on a regular basis and essentially share cases. So we'll sit down with, with case files and, and we have a very smooth process in place for local authorities to bring cases to us and say, maybe this case should be considered for federal prosecution. We have cases that we start on our own, but sometimes there are cases that are on the line between whether they should be state or federal. I had a lot of experience with this. I was a DA for many years before, so um, have been in the shoes of, of our, our local DAs. How do you make a distinction whether it should be a local or move up to the federal level? So that's a great question. Well, first of all, there has to be a federal crime uh, implicated. That's not that difficult when we're talking about violent crime and drugs because gun crimes, drug car- drug crimes, there are statutes that apply state or federal. Different statutes but similar language. Right. What we're looking at is has this person progressed to a level with his or her criminal activity that makes them a candidate for a more serious level of, of prosecution? Often we'll see cases where person's engaging in pretty serious criminal behavior, but when we look at the sentencing guidelines, the state guidelines and the federal guidelines look pretty similar. In those instances, we're generally going to leave those cases at the state level. We're, we're going to take cases where we feel like we can get more serious punishment for people engaged in, in, in violent crime and violent activity. Now, there are certain exceptions to that. If there's someone who, who or, or a, a man or woman who's really causing a lot of problems in a local jurisdiction and they can't seem to, to get their hands around that, sometimes we'll take that case. Uh, we generally try to get people who are a little older. Uh, because the studies certainly show that the younger uh, the person uh, who's involved in, in committing crime, if they can, if we can intervene, mm-hmm. we might be able to make a difference. And, and that intervention is much better handled at the state level. Uh, and so we try to go a, a little older, but sometimes you'll see us prosecuting people, you know, 21, 22 years of age, depending on their level of criminal activity. So it really is a back and forth, a, a give and take. We have prosecution guidelines. Uh, but they're flexible because you have to be flexible in this business. I was going to say, when you're talking about so many of these, there are so many crossovers of, as you said, of the different instances that can happen. Of, But I guess you're also looking at if you have the ability to take it to the federal level, a lot of times people see things that happen in their own backyard, but the tentacles go a lot further. Sure. Everything starts at, at a local level. Uh, and, and most of the cases that we do, especially the cases that we share with local folks, they'll start at the local level and, and, and we work our way up. You know, you don't start at the top of the chain. You work your way up to the chain and you start that by finding out what's going on in the neighborhoods. Good, solid, old-fashioned gumshoe police work being done by the police officers in the neighborhoods. And then there are federal uh, task force officers assigned from – some of our local departments are assigned to work uh, with the federal authorities, uh, and we do enjoy very close relationships and, and, and partnerships here. Uh, I was just having a conversation with a colleague from another part of the country, and, and you know they have sort of a sticky problem of, of lack of communication among mm. uh, their law enforcement groups. We don't have that. Uh, these folks uh, have known each other for a long time, work very well together. We're very well served by our federal law enforcement agencies. Now, they're mostly based in Philadelphia, like the right. hierarchies in Philadelphia. Uh, but we have uh, you know, resident agents in, in Scranton and Harrisburg and different places throughout the district. And the supervisors from Philadelphia are here quite often. They're in communication all the time. 
now, could we use more resources? Could always use more resources, right? Because the way to attack this problem is to put those resources to areas of greatest need. It seems that's where the neighbors would come in then. So everybody can be a resource. Right. Uh, absolutely. And whether it's calling the police and letting them know what's going on, getting involved in the neighborhood watch group, uh, getting involved with a with victim's group. I had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to meet with some, some parents and family members of, of folks who, who've uh, – uh, died in uh, opioid overdose cases, and it was a wonderful meeting, very active, engaged group. And listen, in my experience, I've been doing this for a long time. There is no one who is a better advocate for uh, justice and safety and, and community uh, than someone who's unfortunately been, been victimized. And they take that uh, horrible uh, experience that they've had and, and, and turn it to a positive. You know, I can stand here in my, my dark suit, my white shirt, and my tie, and, and, and talk all day long about this. But when you hear it from the people who've been actually victimized, uh, I think it's that much more powerful. And you also, um, as we had talked about the last time that we talked about Project Neighborhoods, t- uh, mentioned that it started back many years ago. Was it with the Reagan administration? I think it was George W. Bush. George Bush administration. Mm-hmm. And now it's still necessary it's still here and you had the opportunity to meet i met our uh new attorney general attorney general Barr, uh a couple of days ago in, in washington wow. got to spend about half an hour with him and uh he wanted to hear about the district what are our, our bigger problems what what do we need we've been very fortunate here in the middle district of pennsylvania we've had a lot of support from this administration from attorney general sessions Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein and and now uh, Attorney General Barr, in the past year or so, uh, and I've been on this job about a year and a half almost, uh, we've gotten three additional positions, additional assistant United States attorney positions, Uh, one to do violent crime, one to to handle immigration cases, both civil and criminal, and then one to do uh, affirmative work in civil, which is really healthcare fraud and Mm. and overprescribing is where we're concentrating those efforts here. And that was all based on numbers and productivity. So good productive office, but we have the work for the people to do. Uh, And up to that point, there had been a hiring freeze. It was hard to replace positions. This department has been very supportive of pushing people out to the field so that we can do the work where the work needs to be done. Um, In 2015, 2016, the statistics started to show violent crime ticking up Mm. again. Uh, and PSN is absolutely directed at trying to attack and reduce violent crime in our communities. And a lot of times people think that they can't make a difference because they're afraid, number mm-hmm. one, of retaliation from someone who they may believe or, you know, well, you tipped me off or whatever. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that uh, we were talking about was the fact that there are these crimes that are occurring now and they're not really being done here, but through the mail? Right. So think about the way that, that, that we shop. True. Uh, I, I, drove, I drove by a, a billboard. I live uh, in the Harrisburg area, and I drove by a billboard and saw that, unfortunately, a, a, a longtime retail establishment is closing, you know, going out of business. And I have no doubt that is because so many people are buying that product now uh, over the internet. True. I see the boxes. I have three teenagers. Uh, I see boxes <laughs> at my house all the time on the front porch when I get home. And the same thing is happening in illicit businesses. So 
just as we order things from Amazon uh, or order things from from Walmart or, or whomever over the internet, that's how people are getting drugs now. So there are massive amounts of contraband uh, impacting our district in two ways. Number one, coming through the mail uh, or the other common carriers. You know, certainly people try to send it through FedEx, try to send it UPS. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we see a lot of it here is through the U.S. mail. Wow. And think about it, though. You know, Rather than having to arrange a truck or a boat, uh, you can send 20 packages through the mail, and if three, four, or five of those packages get picked off, 15 of them still made it through and probably cost you less if you're a trafficker uh, than doing things the other way. What about dogs? Don't they have dogs so that it, check things? It, it depends. Now, uh, yes, at certain certain mail processing centers, but think about it. The mail service is competing with FedEx, with UPS, and everybody's in the same boat. Uh, where the, 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 the largest FedEx center in Tennessee and the largest UPS center in Kentucky, law enforcement can get in there for about an hour a day because they have to, they're a business and they have mm-hmm. to move these, these packages from one place to another. And if they don't, they're going to lose the business. So while they're trying to be cooperative, they're trying to run a business at the same time, postal service is in the same boat. Now, what we have in the postal service that we don't have in the private carriers is the United States Postal Inspection Service. Right, who has intel programs, can watch addresses. And what we do a lot of here is uh, we do package warrants because we have suspicious packages and then, and then we do deliveries and that's how we start cases. Oh, and, wow. And we've seen more and more and more of those. Uh, so that's been, been one way that I've seen a change just even since in the 20 years I've been doing this. That, that It would happen occasionally before. It happens all the time now. The other place we see things, of course, is our system of interstate highways. Oh. I mean, we're here just above the intersection of 81 and 80 where exactly. we're standing today. Right. And there are just huge amounts of contraband, cash, drugs coming through all the time. It's the same reason that we're such an attractive area for, for warehouses and logistics makes us an attractive area to move contraband through. It's just amazing, especially when you think about how times change and the people that are doing this can find ways to adapt that must be so difficult. Well, it, it is. And, and sometimes you feel, especially when technology is concerned, you feel like law enforcement's a little bit behind. Right. Uh, now Why law, aren't they uh, doing something? Why is this taking so long? Right. And, and uh, uh, the, the resources that we have are good. The investigators we have are top-notch. But the criminals are always trying to stay a step ahead. Uh, you'd love to see what would happen if they'd put those, uh, uh, put those skills to use for good. Uh, rather than ill. Uh, but, you know, we're out there doing the hard work and, and doing some great work. I mentioned to you a little earlier a great case that just came up, and it's a combination of technology and old-fashioned detective work, which is what most cases are. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit like you see on TV, but most of the time it's it's, it's boring detail analysis. Maybe boring to some people. To some of us, we're, we're prosecution nerds and we think it's cool. <laughs> well, you have uh, to have everything. Yeah. Because you can find out somebody on the other side can just take that report apart and say, you didn't dot that I. Right. So now the person walks. Right. And that's our burden. And in our business, you have to welcome that. You have, yeah. you have to welcome that burden. It's my burden to prove it. Uh, we've got to make sure that we've got everything that, that we could possibly get. Now, at some point, you've got what you're going to get and you have to make a decision whether you're going to go forward or not. So what can people do? So just stay engaged. Uh, you know, I saw a sign in, in a federal building when I was in Washington the other day, the old, you know, if you see something, say something. That's huge. You know, tell if, if you see a, a local police officer going by and there's something you're suspicious of, 
let them know that because that's how intelligence is built. And they'll make a note of that. They'll report that. That'll, that'll it'll be communicated to the rest of the department. And that's how we build those cases up. Keep an eye on what's going on in your community. I think I said it when I was here before. I, I try to say it in every interview. Even in what people would consider a, quote, bad, unquote, neighborhood, the vast majority of people are not getting in any trouble. They just want to be left alone. They want to be safe. They want to live their lives, raise their kids, do whatever they're doing. Uh, and, and most people who are in, in a neighborhood where things are tough are, are there through no fault of their own. So, you know, just keep engaged. Police are great. If you say, look, I said I, I saw something, but I don't want to be involved, they'll take your information uh, and just use that for intelligent purposes. So community watch groups, victim groups, uh, support groups. The, these folks I met with uh, from, from Luzerne County who've, who've lost family members, th- this is how local folks can make a difference. So they go to Luzerne County Council. They go to Hazleton City Council. They go to Wilkesbury City Council. They're well-known. They monitor what's going on, and they're very positive and all about promoting partnerships. They reached out to my office. I was happy to meet with them. I sat down. We got letters from all three of those uh, boards of governance. I handed them over to the attorney general when I was in Washington the other day. Attorney General Barr. Attorney General Barr. And I said, we're making great strides in the Middle District of Pennsylvania. We have a persistent problem. Uh, of heroin and opioids, you know, we're not the worst place in the country. No, but we're just a little bit below that. Right. Like there, there are places that have gotten uh, a huge influx of resources because their numbers are so bad. Uh, we're not in 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 that position, but it's still an absolute crisis here. And I said to the attorney general, you know, we're just a tick under the worst places, but this is the kind of engagement we have here. And what we're asking for is as much support as we can possibly get. And uh, I talked with our uh, uh, special agent in charge of the DEA in this area before I went down, and and he used to be the agent in charge of this area. So middle district and particularly the Northeast is near and dear to his heart. So we're going to keep plugging away, but it's that kind of community engagement. That's what I can do for folks. We can convene meetings. I was able to to take their concerns that they've been so effective at taking to their local officials directly to one of the highest officials in the nation, and I was proud to do it. You know, you're you're very modest, and a lot of times people, well, I know in our business we get all your your releases, your news releases, mm-hmm. but you're you're very modest in in what you're doing, and I think a lot of people don't realize number one who you are. Number two, that you are having such an impact with all of these people that you're bringing together from local communities all the way up to the federal government. Well, I hope I hope that we are. You, you know, the, the releases that you see, I think we're doing a better job communicating what's going on in the office. That's the hard work of all those great career employees in the office. I'm the guy that gets to go out and talk about <laughs> it, right? They're the ones plugging away on the cases, doing the hard work in the courtroom. Now, I did that for a long, long part of my career, and I missed that. I missed that part of the action. But it's important for us, you know, for those of us who are in leadership roles to play that convening role, to maintain the relationships and and to make sure that we have positive partnerships going on. And I am never going to be pessimistic or negative about the way things are going because I know the great partnerships we have here. And I know that uh, although we're not competing with other parts of the country, our partnerships are stronger. Uh, And and that's that's a credit to the great men and women who are doing the work around here. Anything you'd like to leave with our audience today? Uh, you know, we're working hard every day uh, to make sure that our communities are as safe as they can be, and all that we can do is ask you to be our partner in that effort. <laughs>
Thanks again to U.S. Attorney David Freed for that update on Project Safe Neighborhood. Don't go away. The inaugural Lackawanna County Fair details coming up on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Did you know there is a Lackawanna Heritage Fair coming at the end of May? Armand Olivetti is here to tell us all about it. I can't believe we're going to actually have a Lackawanna County Heritage Fair, Armand. Tell us, this is so exciting. This has been about three years in the making. Several years ago, uh, the county commissioners looked for volunteers to appoint three study commissions. Uh, the, the only one that made it this far was the one to study a county fair. And we reported out about, after about a year and a half to two years of studying, we reported back around this time last year and indicated that we thought a fair could be successful if the theme uh, were heritage, which would include things like agriculture, for example, so that we would uh, qualify as a, as a state agricultural fair. But we also wanted to emphasize, because of our industrialized past, we wanted to emphasize the heritage theme, too. And uh, we also felt that the best time to stage it would be early in the season rather than later in the season because we did not want to compete with uh, other regional fairs, uh, church picnics, mm. firemen's carnivals, things like that. So, so when is it? It is the Wednesday after Memorial Day weekend. That would be May 29th this year. It runs Wednesday through Sunday, May 29th through June 2. Where? Montage Mountain Resort. Now, I think that I'm asking you these questions right up front because I don't think many people have actually realized right. it's going to happen. Right. We're just at the point now where we're starting to push it. Yeah. We, uh, we've been involved in the nitty-gritty of organizing it, and our own media people have been telling us, wait until the beginning of May to make the push. So we're pushing. Okay. Well, we're <laughs> that's here. why you and I are here today. We're here to help you push. Now, you've been showing me, and there's so much, so yeah. you're going to have to come back. Okay. But um, let's talk a little bit about the location. So it's at Montage, right. which is at, at the top of the mountain. Correct. You would have to get off at the Montage exit, go up all the way to the top of the mountain road. That's about two, two and a quarter miles. And a lot of people are familiar with that, with concerts and skiing and right. the water park and everything right. else. We're right next door to the pavilion where all the concerts take place. And hopefully we'll be able to use a portion of that parking lot for overflow parking. But the fair itself will be situated at Montage Mountain Resort Approximately half of the parking lot will be devoted to the upper campus of the fair. Uh, the other half of the parking lot will be for parking, obviously. And then the lower campus, which would be where the lodges and the ski sales shop and the water park and whatnot, that's what we call the lower campus, will be where the heritage component of the fair is. The upper campus will be the more traditional agricultural fairgrounds. When we're talking about this now, of course, we're, people are used to going to fairs and all kinds of other events. Mm -hmm. What are you charging? The admission price is $10. That includes your parking. The water park montage has been great. Uh, they're making their water park features available. 
They are also making the chairlift available as part of the admission price of $10. $10? Yes. The only upcharge once you're inside, as far as the rides are concerned, is the zip line. The zip line will also be functional, but that's an upcharge payable to Montage. So you have that on top of everything else that you have put together for $10? Right, and that includes the carnival rides, too. Carnival rides? Yes. Where? Wow. We have Swanka Amusements out of Scott Township. Again, we're, we're trying Keeping to be... Keeping it local. Right, as, as much as we can. We want we want to celebrate local heritage. Swanka's here, and they're providing the carnival rides. Uh, they'll have their usual carnival rides, plus four or five or six what we call mega rides, the large Ferris wheels, uh, the fun houses, things like that he's bringing in. We're hoping, and we're not sure yet that we can get it here, but they're, uh, he's, uh, he's affiliated with other vendors. They help each other with rides. And uh, one of the other vendors just brought in a new, I'm going to call it a Ferris wheel. I don't know if that's the correct term that they use, but the, uh, the gondola-type Ferris wheel ride oh. just made in Europe. It's state-of-the-art. Uh, if we can get it here, it will it will be its North American debut. Nice at the local fair. Uh, it's it's apparently in the western part of the state being assembled. The problem is that the engineering paperwork hasn't caught up with the ride yet. Ah. Until that happens, the state cannot approve the ride. And it's all about safety. Exactly. And so we want to make sure everybody right. understands that it's all about safety. Right. In so. Fact, Mr. Swecker used to be a state ride inspector. Ah, so he's real so he's, careful. So he's right on top of it. <laughs> and if the paperwork catches up with us and we can get it approved, fine. We'll have it this year. If not, we'll have it next year. We'll have something there one way or the other. We'll have a mega gondola ride. So what's the upper campus now? The upper campus is the is the parking lot. If you're familiar with Montage Mountain, when you go up to the road, you make a left into the parking lot. Appro- approximately half of it, it would be the half closest to where the... Uh, Chairlifts mm-hmm. uh, and the and the uh, that little cul-de-sac, cul-de-sac kind thank of, you, yeah. uh, is uh, that will be the main gate, and the carnival rides will be situated there together with uh, the traditional fair vendors, and we'll, we're going to have two performing stages. The stage in the upper campus of the fair will be the traditional performance stage for bands and dancers and things like that. And we'll have a uh, – La Festa is allowing us to use their stage for the lower campus, which will be the stage for the heritage-related performances. Such as? We are going to have – well, let me see if I brought my well, list and we here also, with me. We also want to let our, our listeners know that this is still developing. So even though Armand tells us some of the people who are going to be here, there's a there's a better-than-even chance that when the day arrives – there could be added names to the list. And I'm glad you said that. If there's anyone out there listening to us who is interested <laughs> in, in taking in, part. Exactly. Give us a call. Like, or actually what you should do. I say give us a call, but obviously we're, we're talking about being technologically <laughs> obsolete before we went on the air. LackawannaCountyHeritageFair.com is the website, and that'll connect you to Facebook, Twitter, things like that. If you're interested, contact us and let us know, especially so if you're a vendor. Right, so there's no, there's really no end date. I mean, if somebody has something and they say, oh, I just found out about it, Armand says... Come on in. Come on in. Right. Okay, so what do we have for the heritage stage? Well, to give you an example, we have the uh, Lackawanna Historical Society providing us with many speakers. Oh, 
we have people who will be speaking about labor unrest, uh, Lithuanian immigration. We have a presentation about Louisa May Alcott and Little Women. I'm not sure what that's about, but it's on the list. Uh, we have uh, Dom Keating from Dunmore talking about rail passenger service in Lackawanna County in, in the 1940s. Oh, and they're still trying to bring it back. Right. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, Mr. Powell talking to us about Carbondale, the D&H Gravity Railroad, the Welch in northeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, we have Bob Savakinas who's going to present a video on the old Rocky Glen Park, if you are old enough to remember Rocky Glen. Yes, indeed. And and there's a video and a lecture in connection with Rocky Glen Park. We have a a very wonderful woman named Stephanie Longer. You may have seen her book around. She does uh, ethnic groups in Lackawanna County or northeastern Pennsylvania. She's going to talk about the Italians in Lackawanna County. And now all this is happening over all of the days. It's not like it's just so you must have a list of all this. Right. It's, these are all going to be spread across the five days of the fair. They won't be continuous. They'll right. be uh, Somebody will be talking maybe one or two days out of the five. But we'll have a list of it available and published so that people can plan around it. Now, one of the other things, too, that you uh, showed me was that there are going to be displays in the lodge. Everybody's going to be there from the Anthracite Heritage Museum uh, to the Shriners to the Knights of Columbus, the Scranton School District, the Lackawanna County 4-H, good friend of ours. Also, the uh, Taylor Library, Act of Disabilities, all kinds of things. Now, what about traditional musical entertainment? Are, are, I know you're going to have the upper campus stage. Right. We, uh, I should mention that as far as the heritage uh, component is concerned, I think we've lined up a Ukrainian choir, a Ukrainian church choir. We're trying to work on a Russian church choir. And I think we also have approached the, uh, I think their, their name is the Scranton Knights. It's the choral group from the Scranton School District. Yes. And there's a, a, and I apologize to the people from the Mid-Valley. You're going to be upset with me. I can't remember the name of the Valley View Choral Group. But we're, we've approached those two in particular uh, to see if they would be willing to perform for us as well. And again, here's where it comes in. If you have a group and you're listening, contact us. Get a hold of Armand. We also have uh, been in contact with uh, a performer. I won't give names yet because I'm not sure if we have it finally lined up. Uh, But she's from Lackawanna County and is an opera singer. (gasps) Oh. And we're trying to get her lined up to do some operatic performances for us on the on the lower yes on the lower stage. I don't want to I don't want to name names until we know it's definite. But uh, as far as the upper uh, campus is concerned, the uh, traditional fairgrounds, we have a larger performing arts stage up there, and we have entertainment booked for every day of the fair starting at around noon and going until closing, which depending upon the day of the week will either be 10 or 11 o'clock. And is it true that even some people who said that they have retired from the entertainment business are actually going to come out again? If we're talking about the Longo brothers, that is correct. (laughs) And anybody who knows them knows they are... They used to be the poets. Exactly. Right. This is so exciting. And we hope that they're bringing along that young fellow from the Abingtons area who is the Elvis performer. And he's how old? I think he's around 16, 15, 16, 17 in that range. He's in his mid-teens. And there are also, of course, food vendors. Lots of them. 
And I'm going to uh, mention one in particular at the risk of offending the others. I mean, we have the traditional uh, kitchen tchotchkes that goes along with the, <laughs> a county fair. But we, we've been trying to bring in um, church vendors, for example, or the, the firemen's uh, uh, volunteer fire associations. One thing we've learned about trying to do a heritage-type fair over five days is that uh, the churches and the firemen just can't be there for five days at a time. You know, if it was a weekend, and we may have to rethink the business model next year. If it was two or three days, they'd have been lined up. Right. But five, it's just tough for, for them to staff it. Uh, but we did get uh, the Lebanese church in West Scranton, St. Anne's, to come in. They're going to be there for all five days uh, with their, uh, uh, I'm going to call it a Lebanese food festival. It's going to be terrific. And then we have um, other local food vendors who are going to be there. For example, Ravello's Pizza. On the upper uh, campus now, under the tents, and maybe just a quick description of what that upper campus is going to look like, the carnival is going to be set out in the middle, and then around the perimeter of the fairgrounds will be, in the upper campus, tents and food trucks. On the lower campus, where the buildings are, we'll have the outdoor stage and everything else should be indoors or under a tent somewhere on the lower campus. I guess this isn't really qualifying as food, but people will recognize it. Peggy's marinades and dipping sauces that Absolutely. are carried locally. <laughs> She's going to be there. Colorusso's Cafe from Clark Summit will be there. And just so everybody's aware now, we're at a fair, so that means that the food is not in the admission price. Right. This is all in addition to the admission price. The rides are included. The food is not. Right. Now, the other thing, too, is you mentioned the uh, upper campus, and you're going to have an entertainment stage there. Right. But you're also going to have things that are happening in that area as well, such as wine. There's going to be, uh, in the area where the uh, stage is in the upper campus, the area in front of the stage will be, a part of it will be enclosed, and within that enclosed area will be craft beer vendors, and we're having a craft beer competition and uh, about a half a dozen or so local wineries, which will provide free sampling. If you want to buy wine by the glass, you can purchase it by the glass. And you can purchase wine by the bottle, but you won't be able to open it on the fairgrounds. You can take it home with you. And we have some really great local participating wineries. And you've, it's amazing that you've kept everything so local. <laughs> yeah, well, wow. that's the whole idea behind the local heritage fair. You know, yeah. we're trying to... People well, don't realize what's out there. And that's that was the whole concept behind what we were doing. We selected the location montage. We if the if the eventually we hope to be able to grow the fair so that we can incorporate the performing arts pavilion just below the the ski slopes there and also the PNC field mm-hmm. so that we can show people uh, what's available in the area because there are people who've never been to some of those facilities. And one of the other things um, that I think we might want to mention at this point is you have mentioned earlier in our interview about if somebody has something that they would like to add on, you're not just focusing, even though it's called Lackawanna County Heritage Fair. We are encouraging anybody from anywhere in northeastern Pennsylvania who feels that they have something to offer to the fair and to the people who we expect to come to the fair. Contact us. Tell us what you want to do. And if we can, we'll find a spot for you. And it just so happens that Lackawanna County is close 
to Montage, but Luzerne yes. County is not too far. Northern Luzerne County is literally right over the top of the mountain from exactly. Montage. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So that's another good thing. Mm-hmm. Now, you have some wineries there? Yes, we have. I'm looking here. looks like we have seven lined up so far. We have Lucci's. Uh, we have one, speaking of that, coming out of Wilkes-Barre, Malakari, if I'm not mispronouncing it. No, you are correct. Yep. You've, and the, from the look on your face, you've been there and done oh, that. I've, yes, indeed. Okay, so that was a good choice? Absolutely. All right. I hope they bring some ice cream. Now, we have uh, what, what's listed here is Center City Wine Cellar, but that was the uh, vendor who had been in the Mohegan Sun. That was... Uh, Crossings Vineyards, oh, I yes. believe. Yes, yes, They're yes. out of the uh, Bucks County area, and they have award-winning wines coming out of southeastern Pennsylvania there. They're now in in the uh, marketplace at Steamtown, and they go under the trade name Center City Wine Cellar, so they're going to be there. Case Quattro out of Peckville, Capra Colina out of Blakely, Mucholo out of Old Forge, and Merrill Lake Winery out of Childs. Nice. And there were others that were interested, but the timing was bad. Mm. Well, So next year, hopefully, we'll have even more. That's why it's nice to be in on the ground floor of yeah, this, yeah. because there is so much more, and you're going to learn so much. I want to be at that meeting the morning <laughs> after you close yeah, everything up. Yep. I want to be at We're going to have meeting. a debriefing. <laughs> now, when and where again is this going to be? It starts Wednesday, the 29th of May at Montage Mountain Resort, and it runs through the following Sunday, June 2. And uh, the fair will open at uh, noon on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. On Saturday and Sunday, I believe we open at 11 a.m. And the rides will open at 11 on the weekends. During the week, they, I believe they open at 4 o'clock. One of the things that we didn't mention before was, as far as the rides are concerned, the kids can get a... a, a Wristband? Yes. Uh, what will happen, first of all, kids under two are free. And there will be some rides that they can ride on, and they may require bringing an adult along with them to ride on the ride. Uh, but uh, anyone will re- anyone who enters, for that matter, whether they go on the rides or not, will receive a wristband. And that band will get you on everything except the zip line. The zip line, from what I understand, will be operational, but that's an upcharge payable montage. Right. The chairlift is included. The water park features are included. All of the uh, amusement rides are included. $10. And the entertainment, right. The entertainment is included, too. There's no charge. $10. Correct. And the only thing you're going to pay for is the food and the beverages that you decide to partake in while you're there. Correct. Parking's even included. Parking's included, right. Wow. Do, do they? Do the people know that you've done this, Armin? Uh, I am hoping that they do, but if they don't, they should know now, Paula. Now that you know, mark the calendar for May 29th through June 2nd, and don't go away. The play's the thing. An actor circle is looking for one of yours. Coming up next on Special Edition. Now on Special Edition, an upcoming competition for local playwrights. Lou Bizignani, you are a busy man. Always have something hopping, something going, and now you're looking for people to write? What What's Actor Circle have going on that they're looking for plays? Well, we've done this a number of times in the past. This is probably the fifth time we've done it over the last 25 years. Uh, we're soliciting submissions from the, anybody in the area uh, for original short plays. A short play is one that runs maybe 10 to 15 minutes, 
and we will uh, we will have a committee that will read all of the submissions, and we'll hopefully you know pick out five, six, seven of them that uh, that we feel are uh, pretty good, and we will put them on at the theater for one weekend, and let the audience each night vote on uh, the best plays. Rank them, you know, for one, two, three. And the uh, first prize is going to get, uh, I think it's $50, yes. And the second prize is $25. And third prize, they get some uh, free tickets to other shows. But uh, it's not the prize money. It's the idea that you can, you know, see what you have written on its feet up on the stage with the uh, actors. We'll supply the actors. We'll supply the directors. Although if a writer wants to direct his own play or her own play, that's fine, too. So... What is the time frame of this now? But I would think writing something, even 10 minutes, is going to be some time-consuming thing. No, uh, you may already have plays. Uh, some, you know, there's writers out there. We have a writer's group that meets every Saturday, for example, at uh, the coffee shop on Spruce Street in downtown Scranton, uh, Northern Lights. And uh, a lot of the stuff that has been written in that group or for that group or by that group has been presented on the stage at Actors Circle over the years a number of times. Uh, we even have a website uh, up on um, YouTube where we, you know, videos that we've taken of plays that were done by, see, the stuff that we write, the stuff that the local writers write with their permission is not copyrighted, so we can put it up for uh, permanent uh, viewing on uh, on YouTube. So there are certain restrictions, and, and, and by the way, this if anybody has any questions, they can call me personally at 570-906-0919 or... Go on actorscircle.com, and they'll see the rules, you know, for this little, this contest. 10 to 15 minutes in length. There has to be only a minimal set and properties. I mean, you, know, you can't have an escalator in there or something like that, you know. With three or less characters, and it has to use family-friendly language. We want to have kids come, too, you know, if they, if they want to come. Play has to be submitted to Actors Circle. By May 24th. When you say a play, Lou, do you mean beginning, middle, end, or could this just be a snippet from a longer, a longer play that you've written? There are there are short play competitions that are done all over the con- country, but a 10-minute play ordinarily has a little story to tell. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end, as you said. You might say, well, that's, you know, it's not the same as a, you're right, it's not the same as a three-act play. Right. Where you introduce all kinds of subtext and so forth. This is just, a, you know, an, an occurrence, an event, a happening. And yes, yeah, it's, it's a real little story. It's a little story. And uh, you also mentioned the group on Saturdays. That sounds like something that anybody, just somebody who wants to dabble, can get involved in? It's, it doesn't cost anything to, to join. You can come and join, or you don't have to join. You can just come in on Saturday morning. We're usually there between 10 a.m. and uh, we last until about 1 o'clock uh, on Saturdays, every Saturday. And Northern Lights, it's a coffee uh, shop. It's right on Spruce Street, right across from the Courthouse Square. And the name of the group? I, I named it years ago, and I, I have many regrets. It's called Northeastern Pennsylvania, and you don't have to, when you're going on YouTube, you don't have to write Pennsylvania, just write P-E-N-N-A. Uh, Writers Collective, very long name. After you do it a couple times on your YouTube, Don, you just start typing it in, usually it, it knows what you want. And you've also been, Actor Circle is Lou Bizignani. Well, uh, in a sense, uh, a gal named uh, Mary O'Brien, who lives down in Annapolis now, but she and I uh, founded the group, uh, did the very first play, The Crucible, uh, at a 
building that's been knocked down by the University of Scranton now, the old uh, Jefferson Hall, back in 1982. I had always wanted to do the Crucible, and a, a couple of local groups that I worked with uh, weren't interested in doing it, so I said, uh, let's put a call out, and we had a bunch of people try out, and we did it, and, we, and then uh, then the people who were in it said, what are we going to do next? And I, I hadn't even thought that far. I was like, what? A gal named Agnes Cummings, who was in that group uh, at that time, very well known in the area as an actress, a very good actress. She directed Sly Fox. That's how it, we were off and running. And now where are you? Well, in 1984, we rented a space in a building on Providence Road, 1256 Providence Road, yes, uh, in Scranton. We enlarged the stage that was already there. There's a little balcony. There's, uh, you know, there's restrooms already there. So what? It's a club, uh, clubhouse for, uh, for the, the, the Queen of Society, and they're, they're downstairs, and we've been upstairs since 1984. The Providence Playhouse. Providence Playhouse. It's Rose. That's why we call it Providence Playhouse. And now you have had so many productions that oh, yeah. o- over the years, I mean, it would take us days just yes. to be able to go through all of them. The average where you do between uh, seven and nine plays a year. That's very ambitious. But you do have some things that are coming up now. Yeah, we opened uh, Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw last Thursday. And our shows run two weekends ordinarily, uh, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night at 8 p.m. And uh, Sunday at 2 p.m. And uh, so we have one more weekend of Pygmalion, uh, this weekend, which is a uh, straight play from which My Fair Lady, you know, it's a musical that that came out of that play, but uh, our play is the straight play by uh, George Bernard Shaw. He did not write My Fair Lady, he just wrote the story of Pygmalion, which is a a good story about a man who uh, who makes a bet, an Englishman who's a language expert, and he makes a bet that he could take uh, this uh, anybody uh, and teach them how to speak well and how to act well. And that's where the rain in Spain falls yes, exactly. mainly on the plain yes, yes, comes yes, yes. from. So what else have you got? There's one more show of our season. Our season runs from September to June for plays that they've been on Broadway or just off-Broadway. Our next show is one, and our, it'll be the last show of this season, is going to be Tuesdays with Maury, which is written by Jeffrey Hatcher and Mitch Alborn. And uh, a lot of people have read the book. They come to see it, and they, they're going to come and see it, and, they, and when we tell them about it, they say, oh, I've just read the book. And that goes up the very, very end of May, May 30th, 31st, June 1st and 2nd, and then June 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th. Again, Thursday, Friday, Saturday at 8 p.m., Sunday at 2 and you have something that you're working on. We can't tell them everything about it. Uh, we do original plays in the summertime quite often. And I'm uh, currently writing with a, fellow, a friend of mine, Ted LaRusso, who's a good, a good uh, writer, very good writer and a good director. He's directed a number of shows for us. Uh, we're together uh, cooperating to write uh, Sherlock Holmes and the Whitechapel Murders, which is an original Sherlock Holmes. So we can do this because it's in the public domain, because uh, the, uh, Sherlock was in the 1880s, uh, into the 1890s, uh, so uh, we're using, you know, but Sherlock's in it, Watson's in it, Mrs. Hudson's in it, uh, and it's uh, it's Jack the Ripper, Sherlock against Jack the Ripper. And when does this go up? Oh, that doesn't go up until June 27th, the very end of June, and it's only one weekend, because it's, you know, an original place. So we'll do our Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for one weekend. Sometimes we do these plays, and, and then we tweak them after we see them in production. You know, we might mm-hmm. maybe a year or two later come down and then do it again. The the people who would like to get involved in, in the uh, writing, that's going that's going to go up when? The, the short plays 
Uh, they'll probably be very late July. I think it's July the 26th, 27th, and 28th, but that's when the plays are produced. The big thing for the writers, who, are, who are hopefully are aware of this now and are listening now, uh, is to get their play into us. We have to then call through. If we get 25 submissions, right. we'll pick out the best five, six, seven you know, of plays, and uh, our committee will, and we will they'll be done at the, the rehearsed and produced at the theater for an audience uh, at the end of July. And when's the submission due? The end of May, right? Yes, yes, May 24th. May 24th. Now, if anyone has any questions, you folks do have... Yes, at actorcircle.com. Okay. And so, but we do have an after Actor Circle Facebook page, I guess. And, uh, and of course, if, if there's any questions about anything, they can always call me, 570-906-0919. Lou Bizzagani. Thanks for listening to Special Edition a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. A production of Intercom Communications. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively... Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.